on it. I'm 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 cooperating here. I'm just I, I I'm making a podcast. I mean I don't I I mean I I just I uh, hello and welcome to episode forty five of Ribbon of Memes, a podcast where we dissect films previously described by other incompetents as masterpieces. I am Nick, and I am joined as ever by the rattled Roger. Ungwent. I, I need Ungwent. <laughs> oh, that is, that is a wonderful quote from the 1996 um, Comedy of Errors, um, or Error of Comedies, Fargo, our second Cohen Brothers film after um, Blood Simple, I think. I forgot hmm. what year was that, 89? Uh, no, that's, that's uh, 84, I think. Blimey. They'd done a few in the meantime. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. This was maybe their fifth or sixth film. And, um, it is, what's the quickest summary? It's, um, it's blood simple, but with comedy, I suppose. <laughs> There's a certain the... amount of comedy there as well, to be fair. Well, that's true. That's true. Here, the dark comedy is really, ah, oh, I don't know. It's a, it's a bit hard to explain. Here, the Cone brothers have really found their, their balance. They don't always get it right with every film, but their balance of dark comedy and sort of warmth and humour and um, utterly horrible things happening, hmm. which is, is, is very much. Um, another summary would be um, protagonists come up with a plan. They explain the plan in the opening scene of the film, which explains to you pretty much how well the plan is going to work. <laughs> <laughs> um, the rest of the film is how spectacularly badly the film goes and the investigations of Marge Gunderson to find out, well, basically to pick out the pieces <laughs> by the time it's over. Yeah, and I, I think it's pretty clear that she is the centre of the film, and yet mm. she doesn't even appear for the first half an hour out of 94 minutes. Now, in The English Patient, that would have been fine, because that would have still been in the prologue, but here, yes, the <laughs> film's only 90, uh, maybe 100 minutes long. I can't remember uh, which. The version but, I yeah. watched was 94. Yeah, it's it's in that region certainly. So it's um, and, and it's I a think fair chunk of the film. Even once she's in in the narrative, I think most of the screen time is going to other people. It's it's is it an ensemble cast? Not quite, but we've certainly well, got. Well, that, that's the interesting thing. We have these other people we're following, yes, but she is, as you say, the, the core of it. Yeah, even she though is. mostly what she does is relatively lightweight police work. I suppose she stands out as being the competent figure. She is pretty much also, the only person we meet who isn't horrible, yeah. Yeah, she's <laughs> competent and she's she's nice and she's caring. And it's interesting. I mean, so I suppose my first question is, is this a film noir? Or is it a neo-noir? Or how would you classify this? Uh, you know, our classical film noir is the down these mean streaks a man must walk who is not himself mean. And I suppose by that definition, it feels to me like a, a true noir rather than a neo-noir. Yeah, though, I mean, the the reason your y- Sam Spade has to do it on his own is because he is the only good man. Mm. Uh, whereas Gunderson has the police department behind her. I mean, yeah. other members of the department do a lot of the work. She's happily married, we assume. They're not very demonstrative in their affections, but they do seem to show a warmth to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, that's an interesting... I suppose maybe the difference between noir and neo-noir and anything we've seen is that Marge is not affected by the cynicism all around her. She's not dragged down by it. She doesn't go down to their level. Um, she remains true to herself and optimistic. You know, that that's it's very touching. I'm, I'm going to go right to the end. It's quite a touching speech right at the end where she's like, you know, you did all of this and what for? What for? for money? Mm-hmm. Don't you know there's more than money to life? That, you know, Marge is not affected. She's she's just kind of um amazed and, and she's, will do she's this quite sort of happy thing. when she gets home to talk with her husband about his obsession, rather yes. rather than de-stressed by talking about her horrible day. Yeah, so in that way, it, it it doesn't quite hit noir, even though one of the touchstones of noir, which is like um, cynical people doing terrible things for money, is is very much present and correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, certainly, most of the other characters here could have fit into Blood Simple. 
Exactly. It's, it's kind of blood simple, but I, I kind of joked about it with, with, uh, it's blood simple with laughs. In some ways it's blood simple with a, with a warm core character. And that does, although she's only in it 30 minutes through, it, it does, it does affect the way you look at the rest of the film and the mm. characters. It's, it's quite an interesting decision. Um, which I think works very well. Uh, I don't know where to start with Fargo. Have you, although we already have started a bit. A, a, a spoiler filled summary of the plot. Uh, yeah. okay. Well, we have hopeless, um, car salesman William H. Macy, um, plotting, who is in some unspecified money trouble. I like that it's kind of unspecified because yes. everything about his character kind of tells you how he's got into that trouble <laughs> yeah, already. He is the sort of person who is going to end up owing a large amount of money that, that he has stolen from his business and can't account for. Yes, exactly. And and you don't I quite mean, it, know why, it, but it's it clear could, he can't. It could be gambling, it could be another failed business deal, it could be, you know, all sorts of stuff. Just sheer incompetence or uh, more likely he's tried something, tried to pull something off and it's failed. Mm-hmm. But, but he um, needs the money right now. He comes up with the genius idea of kidnapping his wife so that rather than explain his plight to his wife or his rich dad, he can, or her rich dad, he can, <laughs> he can get his wife kidnapped and then take the ransom money for himself. Get father-in-law to pay the ransom. Yeah. And even the, the idiot criminals are a bit incredulous. Basically, they don't investigate too much because they're not those kind of people, but they seem a bit confused as to why he really just doesn't ask, <laughs> ask for the money. Um, well, again, presumably whatever it is would be sufficiently embarrassing. Exactly. It, it's nicely played in the sense that you understand the position he's in, even though, <laughs> even though it's never really explained, mm. you absolutely believe it is that sort of position. Uh, and he, um, he is note perfect as that sort of horrible salesman whom, you know, they exist. I know they exist. Why people yeah. ever buy anything from them, I just don't understand. It's, he is, uh, William H. Macy seems born to play that part as just this kind of, <laughs> you can see the panic in his brain every yeah. time he's trying to talk to anyone at all. And just, <laughs> <laughs> he just is utterly terrible at it. Well, unless he's in control. I mean, when, when we see him doing the sales thing and, oh, well, you know, they, they, they sent me this car with the coating and it's an extra 500 bucks. That, that's, yeah. that's where he lives. That's his comfort zone. But even there, you know, when he actually closes the deal and forces the guy to pay up more, he just looks so dejected and defeated mm-hmm. about it. And the guy abuses him and he just sort of accepts it as his lot. <laughs> even when it works for him, it seems like a pretty sad existence. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, when but, it oh, does, it's going to it, change. Yes, exactly, because it really doesn't work for the rest of the film, because the people he hires through uh, someone he's been in touch, God knows how he's been in touch with, the the, the paroled um, Native American uh, mechanic. Well, uh, yeah, he's, he's a mechanic in the garage, so maybe, maybe he got drunk and loud about... Ah, uh, you know, if only I could, if only someone would kidnap my wife or, you know. <laughs> yeah, the old, uh, the old, um, uh, Hitchcock, um, what's it called? Crisscross. Um. Strangers on a train. Strangers on a train, uh, type, um, of, of affair. Uh, but yes, the people who he gets put in touch with are, are suffice it to say not professionals at this. Uh, um, I mean, I think you get the impression they've done that, some pretty awful things. Yeah, they, they, they are certainly bad guys, but they, but they are not experts at this particular thing by any means. No, but they kind of feel like, well, I've got no, no moral objection to it. Let's give it a go. And <laughs> that does not go well. They, they, they kidnap. I don't, I was a little confused why they're doing so much driving all the time. Whereas William H. Mason's character was able to get out, see them, drive back, carry on with his work while they spend two days then driving to his wife's house. Um, mm. there may have been some reason for that that I missed, but, um, that, that it slightly confused me. Thing, maybe. Um, but anyway, they kidnap his wife who from then on, pretty much ceases to be a character to all involved except her son. <laughs> yeah. Her wife, his, her husband shows no interest really in her at all. Um, I suppose her father does. The kidnappers don't even learn her name. Mm-hmm. Is, I don't know why I'm laughing because it's awful, but it is presented in a way. Uh, somehow the Coens get it in a way that is just, um, 
Well, it's so some, black some that it's comedic. Very, very effectively subverting cliches. I mean, I'm sure we've seen the stories about, you know, the kidnapped victim who, who makes a bond with their kidnappers and uses that to escape or yes. that kind of thing. And there is just none of that happening here. And, um, I think a large part of that, like, let, let us talk about who those kidnappers are played by. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about the kidnappers as we've encountered them next. We have, um, I, a returning to ribbon of memes, Steve Bashimi, who is <laughs> a wonderfully described throughout the entire film as, you know, funny looking, just generally funny looking. And you know, even with exactly, his pants on. <laughs> even with his pants on. Um, it's a perfect description, which is of zero help to the police. But mm. that, though, I, I mean, when they saw him, they would certainly, if, if they saw him. <laughs> uh, which they never quite get to, well, not much of him by the time they actually get across. And Steve Buscemi here is playing, in mannerisms, exactly the same character as Mr. Uh, Mr. Pink from Reservoir Dogs. Well, um, except... yes and no. I mean, yes, he's still a motormouth. Yes. But Mr. Pink in spite of his annoying mannerisms, was the one who was saying the sensible things. You know, no, no, we can't just hang around here if the place is potentially blown. We ought to be going out, getting out, going somewhere else. He was the grown-up in the room in Reservoir Dogs. And here he, 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 well, compared with his partner, he is maybe a bit. But he's much less professional. He doesn't make preparations. And he, he's setting out to do this in his own time, let's not forget. Yes. This, this is not one of those incidents like Blood Simple where, holy crap, I have a body, now what do I do? Yes, uh, no, they. He, he, I mean, he has the chance to prepare, well. and he basically doesn't. Exactly. He, he seems to feel like he's very good at improvising on the fly, mm-hmm. and really isn't. <laughs> his his attempt I, I think some, to some of the genius of the acting and directing here is that you get these feelings about what people are like without them demonstrating it. I think that is where where Fargo really went for me. As we said, Willie H. Macy. You don't need a lot of backstory or much, just a scene with him and you kind of know what he's about. And that's very much the same with, um, uh, with Carl, I think it is, Steve mm-hmm. Buscemi's character. Yeah. Um, and particularly well, that, this, the, this is two years before, um, he makes all the money in Armageddon doing basically well, this, the same role. Uh, Fargo did, well, uh, I suppose what I mean by the same character is he's doing his shtick, his mm, kind yeah. of, um, pop culture chattery shtick. Um, that feels very Tarantino-esque, but he, uh, he is just utterly incompetent. Um, as, uh, I mean, we want to talk about the, the cop, uh, the, the pullover scene at some point. Um, but, but let, let us not, not forget Peter Stormara, uh, who <laughs> is, I mean, in one sense, it's probably not a super challenging part because he is basically just deadpan all the time. Yes. But it worked. Yeah, he knows what he's got to do. He works out when it is necessary to do it, and then he does it, whether whether that is shooting a cop or axing his partner. <laughs> yes. I mean, uh, some of his um, uh, ideas are, are not necessarily the wisest, but he certainly goes about them with a confidence and a level of confidence that when he's decided to do something, he's going to do it. Um, yeah. And I, 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 I picture somebody asking him, maybe, maybe in prison later, do you enjoy it? And he would just be completely incomprehending. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it, it's what you do there is no enjoy yeah, um, yeah. I, I think possibly my my favorite expression is towards the end where he is you know he is caught dead to rights by a by an armed cop shoving somebody's leg into a wood chipper <laughs> with a bulk of wood you know it's safety first yeah. yeah and even then he does not say oh crap or he just okay he just now, now what do i do <laughs> yeah now the next thing on the list is to run um yeah, he's a, he's a, um, I did wonder, I got shades of when they were in, um, in the car together, Steve Buscemi, um, and, uh, Peter Tamari. Um, uh, I just had a slight flashback to Paris, Texas, where we have one very mute character and one character trying to get him to talk. Mm. Obviously, it's very different situation. I wondered if, it wouldn't surprise me if that was in some way an homage to it, but, um, but it, it has a very I, I, different feel here. I would also expect that it was inspired, whether explicitly or not, by some, some of those driving and talking scenes we've seen in uh, Tarantino. Yes, it does feel post-Reservoir Dogs. One of them isn't talking. In fact, I, I first saw this film as a kind of a, you like Reservoir Dogs, you'll like this kind of thing. And I watched it in a room full of people, um, a room full of other students, five or six, and no one else it felt in the room either 
enjoyed it or particularly got it and mm. i i just liked it right from the start and enjoyed it right till the end yeah um, so i don't i i feel the coens are a bit like that um but here uh, anyway i'm getting ahead of myself but that was my, <laughs> my first experience of Fargo. um so we talked about the two uh criminals we've talked about william h macy um that uh after the kidnapping it's pretty rapidly escalates to a triple murder including a state trooper mm-hmm. um do you want to talk about that scene the, uh... i think that may be one of my favorite film scenes so <laughs> <It's> yes <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, yeah i mean stop for me, starting with the realization that they got the lighting right—that that bit where you have the bar of light on your face from the from the uh, central mirror. Oh yeah, from the car oh, headlights yeah. behind you. From that, yes, that's really nicely done, and they use it to good effect. It's not just light; it's 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 nicely done to light up their eyes, and and yeah, that's that's and, very good. And you can see each bit of it going wrong, and. Oh right, he's trying to bribe him, and the policeman realizes. Oh right, he's trying to bribe me, <laughs> and it is such an utterly incompetent <laughs> attempt at bribery. And this is—I I don't know—this is where it skirts the line between tragedy and comedy. That it's just—it's such a bald-faced bribe mm. in such a incongruous setting that you, you feel a bit like the policeman, like. I can't, what, what is going on here? Is he actually trying to bribe? Him? <laughs> um, and then it just rapidly, well, this is, again, I feel where Tarantino would have probably overplayed the violence or the tension of the scene. Um, the Coens kind of play the kind of absurdity of it and the, the comedy of it, where it suddenly escalates from this utterly useless method of bribe to the, when they realize that, the, the jig is up. Um, then we have Peter Stamari's character just just murder him. Th- this is uh, clearly the next thing to do, so I will do this it. This is the next thing to do. I'll do that, and then we. <laughs> and, then we and have. Th- then um, that, that goes quickly moves from a dead body to a dead body and two witnesses. <laughs> to um, to a triple murder. Mm-hmm. Um, without really Steve Buscemi's Carl getting much say in it or really even getting a chance to understand what is actually happening here until he's suddenly covered. Well, he sits in the state trooper's car for a bit because it's cold. You get, you get the impression later from the, (laughs) (laughs) from the, uh, from the investigation. Um, that's a, that's amazing. To me, that scene sums up a lot of why I like the Coens, just the way it is played. Um, yeah, it's, it, it, it's not rubbing your face in. Ooh, look, look at this! I'm being transgressive about all this blood and violence. Yes, it's just saying this is how it is. It's not really very nice for anybody involved. No, it, it has a feeling of. Oh, one thing we haven't mentioned, of course, and because it touches on this sort of thing, is you know they the Coens opened with this is a true story. This exactly happened, which is. Uh, typically, of the cones, not true. It, it isn't a true story at all. I, I think it's been up. inspired by a number of different cases. It's a, there was a there was an attorney that paid to get his own wife murdered, I think, and there was a kidnapping. So it was inspired by a couple of different true life stories. But it's not. It's we'll, we'll come no back more to a true Rogers story than the English corner. patient. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> um, but the way uh, the way the cones play with that kind of. I don't know. It, it just works for me. As you say, it's not gratuitous, the violence, but it is, it goes from comedy, not, when the cones do comedy, it's not, well, they do have done out and out comedy, but it's more just like, this is an absolutely absurd situation, and you're invited to see the absurdity of it, hmm. and then it gets shocking, and then it gets very shocking, and then it gets dark. And then it moves on. I guess. It, it, it's still <laughs> shocking, and it is still absurd. It, it, and yeah. So it can be both. Yeah, and they, uh, again, I don't want to just sing their praises. I, I, there are problems, I suspect, with Fargo, but, um, but that is a scene we both uh, greatly enjoyed. And it's only after that, I think, that we have Marge Gunderson enter mm. the story. Um, yeah, because she's called out to investigate that triple homicide. Yeah, in a very sort of homely way. Her husband insists on making a breakfast first, and then they, uh, she heads out to the car, and then we realise she, because we haven't really got a lot of clues about it otherwise, but she kind of uniquely amongst the characters we've met so far actually knows what she's doing. Um, <laughs> she knows uh, a crime scene when she sees one and she's not desperately phased by it. Um, 
there is a nice again another moment I like in Fargo is when she just suddenly kneels down and if she's seen something on the <laughs> on the mm-hmm. ground and she actually knows she's just going to throw up because she's got morning sickness. <laughs> um, but she correctly surmises pretty much what's happened here with this execution style killing here. Um, I I I don't know why, but this what is the way they describe this accent? Is it um, uh, Minnesota uh, nice is both the Minnesota accent and nice. the manners. Yes, yeah, this kind of polite reserve, almost apart from other American culture. It's very sort of Scandinavian um, kind of... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's obviously manners can be used as a way of reinforcing the dominance hierarchy, because if, if you complain about your lot, you are being rude. Yes. But it doesn't, you know, that, that is not the only thing manners are good for. Yes, yeah. I mean, it's not, um, I think in a way it's a contrast between, well, it is a huge contrast between the characters we've met so far and then pretty much everyone in, in Marge's life. Hmm. Uh, and again, you know, I don't think they're pretending that everything is sweetness and light here, but it is quite an interesting contrast between the morals and the, the, the manners of the people we've met and then everyone Marge meets, um, in the course of a daily life, um, even taking on a triple homicide in a sleepy town, sort of in a fairly <laughs> <laughs> low key, but not, uh, that could come across as unrealistic or fake, but it, it, it sort of works. They sell it that this is how they would react to that sort of thing. In areas there, I suppose it slightly borders on the two absurd for me that they are a bit laconic about this whole thing, but doesn't quite get there. It works for me. Yeah, I mean, for, for that matter, I think the accents are a bit exaggerated for effect. Yes, I suspect so. Yeah. Um, we, we might be wrong. We don't. The, the other don't. thing is, of course, um, if you're actually in Minneapolis, Paul, which is where most of the population of Minnesota is, they don't have the accent anything like as strong. But, you know, this no, is a rural, which again, rural area. Well, the whole film's called Fargo. Fargo, almost nothing, uh, has almost nothing to do with the plots, um, but I presumably Brainerd would not have been a successful film name, <laughs> so I can see why they went for Fargo. Um, well, I, I did go down a bit, bit of a rabbit hole on this, because uh, Paul Bunyan is, is a really interesting example. There's, there's this tiny little core of original folk tales, yes, and then this huge body of basically commercial work that is passed off as folk tales. Uh, particularly, there's, there's a 1916 advertising campaign for a lumber company that is where most of the legends get codified. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, it, it reminded me a lot of the American version of Santa Claus, where you got those Coca-Cola adverts in the 30s that just defined the way Santa Claus looks. And, and now everyone feels that's the way they were always looked, but mm. yes. Yeah. Um, should we talk about Francis... McDormand at yeah. this point. So, okay, we've had a bit of a jump because we last saw her in Blood Simple. That was 12 years ago and she was 26, yes. 27. And I, I, I would say at that point she is an attractive woman with a, with an interesting face. And at this yes. point she's 38, 39 and she's got an interesting face and she's an attractive woman. Yes. She, she's got, yeah. she's grown into that character more. Yes. Yeah. She, I mean, she's a very different, um, completely different character to the one we had in Blood Simple, who was kind of one of the protagonists and blundered along. She wasn't um, quite as dark and evil as everyone else, but she survived <laughs> by dint of being the last one standing more than anything. Um, whereas here she is, she's the grown-up in the room. Um, yeah, I mean, she, uh, she has been in 10, 12 other films in between. In between? I mean, I, certainly she's... I mean, she's... Um, I mean, she is related. She, she could Joel Cohen's, uh, wife, yes. um, or Ethan Cohen's, I could be wrong. Uh, but yes, she's, well, she's Joel yeah. Cohen's. Okay. Um, but she, uh, and, and, I, they again, did, and they did write this part with her specifically in mind. Well, she, again, like all of them so far, she kind of knocks it out of the park, really. Mm. I mean, she, uh, she, she sells that she is kind of smart. But caring and kind. There are some really nice scenes there, particularly the one, you know, where she confronts William H. Macy for the second time. Mm. Um, and he, you know, tries is, is bullshit again. Um, and, and gets a bit snippy with her. Um, and her rejoinder that is just like, you know, I don't need to be polite like this. I just, uh, <laughs> basically, you don't want to mess with me and, and really sells it that, um, you know, she's not very, uh, snippy back to him, but enough that you can see there's a, there's something more to her than this polite facade has 
so far shown us. Um, also, also just nice making the point that you really have no reason not to cooperate with me at this point unless you're actually guilty of something. Yes, which <laughs> is, again, perfectly played back by William H. Macy, who absolutely realises it and then completely panic. <laughs> oh, could I talk to your father-in-law? No, because he's known several different pigs. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I can't think of a way of getting out of that conversation, so I'm just going to drive away. Um, uh, I, I did want to talk about the little, the, the, the very slight, and, and there's very few kind of diversions in Fargo because it's quite a tight plot, but we do have the very small subplot of her meeting up with her old school friend in mm. Minneapolis. Um, and it's an interesting thing. I, I, uh, I, I wonder, what it's there for. I think in some ways it's there because it's the, the film is trying to emulate real life a bit or at least closer to real life than Hollywood. And sometimes just random things like this happen in real life. But it has, it has no connection to the plot whatsoever other than perhaps if she's just been talking to one earnest emotional liar, maybe she then sees through um, uh, William H. Macy's character. I, um, I think that is meant to be the implication, certainly. I, I'm not. I, I feel like she's she's not fooled for a minute by him anyway. William H Macy. I, I, he's so unconvincing. Well, I don't I, think she has any reason to suspect him of involvement in in the murder. I mean, he is just the senior guy on site at the car dealership. That's that's a place of interest. That she just but, popped it. Yeah. So whether for, that for triggers the first visit. I see. Yeah. So it's not that she, he wasn't as even a suspect and because he's so hopeless, he manages to put himself in, yeah, in mean, prime suspicion of that. Some people just get twitchy around cops and an experienced cop would know that. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting thing though, because although she is not seemingly not tempted by materialism in the way that all the other characters in the film are, um, I think that's for all the other characters we've talked about so far. Hmm. Uh, um, she is a little tempted by something beyond her life. You know, she does go to that meeting. I don't feel entirely innocently. She's clearly made up in a way that she isn't before, and she looks a bit nervous, and she picks a nice restaurant to meet him. I, I think she's aware it is not just a childhood catch-up, or it might not be. Um, so I wondered... I, I thought that was a nice... I don't know. I wonder if that was trying to say she, she, it's not that she isn't tempted by things beyond what she has. She's just wise enough to see that they won't bring her the happiness that, that other people feel they're missing. Yeah. I mean, I, I did consider how the thing might work differently if it were excised. And uh, apart from that thing pointing to, okay, so I've got, got this plausible liar and I'm thinking in terms of plausible liars. I do think it would leave, leave us with a different impression of her because yeah. It's not just that she's, um, yeah, perhaps interested, uh, in, in yeah, perhaps innocently. Um, but yeah. it's, but it's once when, as she works out what's going on, she lets him down gently as well. Yes. Yeah. She is, she's kind about it and understands about it. Um, yeah, you're right. That the way she deals with that surprise situation tells us something about her character. Um, in the way that all the other characters and how they deal with the, mm. the surprise situation. Yes, it does. That's, um, that's a good, that's a good way of putting it. I, and I think we've covered the principal protagonist, really. There are other characters in here, certainly, um, which, which nice. I mean, there's, as ever with the Coens, um, the, the, the walk-ons are quite memorable, like mm. the, um, the, the, just the witness to, uh, clearly Steve Buscemi's character when he's describing the conversation he had with Steve Buscemi up by the lake. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, ben Bilker, who's been in one other film. Um, but yeah, just as, as, as the bartender who got asked, where can I find some action around here? Yes, exactly. And they uh, turn that into a, a very, I don't know, charming scene. You can hear Steve Buscemi's character saying it yeah, <laughs> in the background. But, but also, I'm, I'm going to be polite about this horrible foul-mouthed person I, I, had in my bar. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And he's the bartender. I mean, he's not like, he's not the local priest or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So there's, there's nice walk on scenes like all the two, um, the two, I don't know what you call them, the, the two hookups from, from the, the, the blue, uh, the other bar, who both are full Minnesota nice, but also somewhat airheads, uh, as well. And, and yeah, what, one of them was actually the, one of the dialect coaches as well. 
Oh, was she? Okay, that's good. But again, they they spin out these characters into endearing. Yeah, and, in and we've got Marge talking talking with them, and clearly, you know, most of this is completely irrelevant. But but she's got to keep them going, keep them rolling, in yeah. the hope of getting something useful. Yes. And then we have the very underplayed husband, um, uh, the actor I don't know. I'm sure John Carl Lynch. Now he's interesting. I, I've actually seen him more in uh, TV parts. Um, he's been in a, in a bunch of cop shows, uh, usually as a one-off and, and one, once or twice as a regular. Yeah, I, I, I kind of like his style. He, he's yeah. I mean, he he doesn't have a wide character range that I've seen, um, but he does it very well and. Yeah, th- I'm this sure is, I have this seen is one him of his first things. roles that got um, serious attention. It's it's nice. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's testament to them or the script or the overall feeling you've got, but you do get the feeling they genuinely do love and care for each other, despite being hmm. very laconic about it all. And there's something quite warming about that couple and that those characters and him. You know, as a character, you do. Uh, it's in, you know it's interesting to speculate how they met and how she's the uh, the breadwinner really, um, but it's interesting yeah, it I doesn't mean, dwell it, on it, any of that. It looks as though he has some sort of police day job. Yeah, well, whether they met in the police force and then he gave it up or something. It's interesting, but it's again the film doesn't dwell on it. But it's hmm. it's what I like about it is that you're interested enough in the characters that you wouldn't mind a bit more detail. I'm kind of glad, you know, particularly after the. English patient, which we may do a bit of a compare and contrast <laughs> with, I think, um, uh, that we don't have to have long, low detail. About. And this is still uh, a very beautiful film in its way, or striking, perhaps maybe more than beautiful. Mm. It, it well, really what, what uses the, the environment that, well. Yeah, I, I was very impressed by the way that you know we, we could obviously be doing the standard Western landscapes here that a lot of films we've seen have done, and yes. it's not. And one of the effective things is we, we very rarely see a clear day or a clear road. I mean, it, it, it's there yeah. a bit, but a, a lot of the time we, we've got, there is snow blowing in the distance. You can't really see very far. It all feels a bit closed in, even if there yes. actually is nothing on the road for another 10 miles. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You don't, you could have had a long vista showing how few people were there, but, but we don't, we, we yeah, we have snowfalls and it, apparently it was one of the, warmest snows in <laughs> in Minnesota history, so they had to use a load of fake snow. I suppose by striking as well, if it, you know, like in Blood Simple, where we had the image of the, um, the uh, I'm forgetting the name, but the PI who was uh, basically nailed to the wall by a knife, mm-hmm. um, and that feels like an image they came up with. Um, yeah. I get a similar vibe with like the wood chipper and Peter Stamaro's character being um, confronted yeah, really. there. It's just uh, it's just an interesting set piece. <laughs> um, I don't know why I'm laughing. That's it, the it, thing doesn't, it doesn't feel quite as much to me as though the whole film has been set up to make it happen. Possibly because no, it's I agree an with thing you there. to make happen. Blood Simple felt like this was the idea we had, let's set things up to make that happen, whereas here... It's a visually striking image of this blood-strewn snowy ground and a foot sticking out of a wood chipper, but, but, but you're but right, it's, also, it's not quite the same. I mean, compared with most police stories, this is the first time she has come face-to-face with the bad guys. Yes. Yeah, um, that's it. I, that, that's really quite unusual. Well, perhaps if we touch about, and we've touched about the characters, we've touched about the film, and, the, and it's quite tightly plotted, aside from this, uh, Marge's little... Um, uh, it's an interesting plot, and I, I, I wonder if I, I suspect one of the reasons they say um, it's based on a true story is because it feels chaotic in that way of things going wrong mm. that I think is unsatisfying to people used to a more conventional narrative, perhaps, because Marge, as you say, although she is the, the heart and she's the most competent character, she still basically lucks out on, on finding them. And um, Well, there is some good police work as well, but yeah. Yes. Yeah, but it is... I mean, so, oh, certainly if, if you flipped it around and told the story of the caper that goes wrong because they randomly get stopped by a cop, that would not be a yeah. satisfying narrative. No, that's so, true. 
Uh, I, I suppose I'm trying to answer my my question I've had ever since I saw it at first as to why no one else liked it in the room that I watched it in. Um, I don't know <laughs> quite what they're expecting. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. It, it was sold as a sort of Tarantino-style film, but and it it, it does feel post-Tarantino, but in a way that's yeah, but it, it's different. much more me than Reservoir yeah. Dogs or Pulp Fiction. Well, me too. I think I mean I, I do. I like both those films, um, but. Uh, it, it's not just about having a good character to root for because not all the Cobra Blood Simple didn't have that particularly, mm. and I really like that. The Big Lebowski doesn't especially have it, um, and I love the Big Lebowski. I'd, be, I'd love to see what you think of that. But anyway, <laughs> um, that that might not be quite so obviously. But um, uh, yeah, it's an intro. I, I anyway, I digress from my point. I wonder if the true story thing was in some ways to just make people think. Oh well, it, it didn't make a lot of sense, but that's what actually happened. So I suppose I'll go with that. I, I didn't need it. In fact, I, I quite like their little sort of joke about it at the beginning. Mm. Um, but I wonder if that was it, just because there are things in there that, in a way, the protagonist doesn't have a huge by protagonist. I mean, Marge doesn't actually influence the plot hugely until right at the end. But she still casts a long shadow over, if that's the right way of putting it. And, and I think the film would not be the film it is without her utter confusion with Peter Stamari at the end. Just not under, like, it's a beautiful day and here we are. I, I, that just mm. sums her up. And, and I don't know, it makes the film much better for me to have someone like that in it. And you could, you could argue that if she had been a bit faster about it, may, maybe, um, more people would be alive, but, but yes, I yeah. mean, I don't. You know, she's not making mistakes here. No, it's just that everyone else is. Which is <laughs> <laughs> um, we did. I think we talked a bit off off air about um, the English patient and how that kind of didn't work for us in a way that I think it's pretty clear at this point in the podcast when this film did work for both of us. Um, yeah, the, the thing that really struck me as I was watching this was that the English patient wants me to be a, essentially a goodish spectator of the tragedy. You know, th- this bad stuff is going to happen, enjoy it. Whereas here, yeah. I care well, no, what happens it. to people. Uh, yes, the bad yeah. guys are getting what, what they asked for. Uh, a bunch of good guys get caught in it as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I cared about what was going to happen to people. Yeah, I, in, in I think that's that, fundamentally yeah. it. In, in the way just that, that, I that little bit of sympathy, even with the bad guys, just a little bit. Well, they're I mean they're not quite they're not quite cool like Tarantino's not cat, at you know. All. So, uh, but and, they and are. That, that's I think one of the reasons I liked it so much more. I think there's something endearing about all of them. There's something endearing about William H. Macy's desperation, just palpable desperation to just finally make something of himself. Just this one can't <laughs> something work out for me. There's something endearing about it that he never gives up, even though <laughs> even though he's rubbish at it mm. and it never works for him and he never thinks through the consequences. And similarly, um, Steve Buscemi's uh, blabbermouth you know, in a lot of points, he's right, um, and you sympathise with him. Um, but on, uh, I, I did, there's something endearing about each one of those characters that makes you a little sad that it didn't quite work out for them, even though, <laughs> even though it really shouldn't have. Um, yeah, uh, I, also I, I, just little little moments like when somebody says, "Oh, is Scotty going to be all right?" and you can see. Uh, our, our boy Jerry remembering, oh crap, I have a son. <laughs> it's full of little moments like that. And, and similarly, you know, when, when he's saying, is Gene okay to the, the to Steve Buscemi's character? And he's like, who the fuck's Gene? <laughs> you know, he doesn't even know. Uh, yes, it's, it's full, exactly those. They're nice character moments. I mean, they're not, they're awful character moments, but they're well done. Also, um, things like, you know, when, when uh, Carl is burying the briefcase full of money. Yes. And then he looks along the fence and thinks, clearly thinks, oh crap, how am I going to find this again? <laughs> yes. Cause he hasn't, he hasn't thought it through again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's I, a I, nice. It, this may be a, a UK perspective. I was a little bit surprised that there was no surveillance in a hotel parking lot in 96. I did, but, eh. Well, I was going to, I wasn't sure about the timing there 
But, uh, you know, nowadays you would have ANPR going in and out. You would have cameras the whole way through. It would be much harder to sell that nowadays. Um, I don't yeah. know if 96, it wasn't quite as strong as that. I don't it know. It might, might well have been. But I, I gave it a pass in that it was some time ago, but I've, I felt similarly. I'm, I'm assuming that Carl disposed of Wade's body somewhere rather than just leaving it there to be found. Yeah, you never find out, do you? But, um, or, or whether, um, yeah, we never find out, but, uh, but there we go. Mm. And from a technical perspective, and we've, we've talked about the uh, visuals, I, I noticed the score, but it never distracted me, and I really enjoyed it when I was listening to it. It, it didn't take you out of it, did it? It, it's, it didn't. It's, it suited the environment and the, the theme. Um, well, okay, anything that didn't work for you with Fargo? Well, perhaps this is a good point to, to, to uh, go back to Roger's Forensics Corner. Okay, I mean, yes. which we last greatly encountered in Blood Simple. I, I will readily admit these these are not professionals, but gloves, people, gloves, gloves, gloves. <laughs> also, you keep your mask on until the job is done. <laughs> Though it, it is fair to say, I, I think we can reasonably speculate that um, Carl and Gare quite possibly never intended to return Jean in the first place. There's certainly no suggestion of it later on. Things have gone a bit wrong there, but how I agree. surprised uh, Carl is where, when the person delivering the ransom actually wants to see her. I mean, yeah, partly that's because <laughs> he's expecting Jerry, but even so, uh, yeah, I agree. I, I, yeah, I think you're right. And, and he doesn't seem terribly perturbed when when she turns out to be dead. <laughs> yeah, no, they've no, that. All they care about is the money. The, the, um, the thing that I, I think is worth bearing in mind, and, the, and this film. Makes it fairly clear that it's consistent with that. Most crime for hire customers are first time buyers, because <laughs> if you yes. have repeated criminal leads, you generally do it yourself or you hire a full timer to work for you. Yes. It turns out most of the people who are selling such services are first timers as well. Yes. And there, there are all sorts of problems with it. And basically, it, it, as with drug dealing, there is no comeback because you know, you've asked somebody to do something illegal, so if they take your money and vanish... You know, That's it. There, there so are you an advocate... Do. I don't want to implicate... In a fictional sense, you're an advocate of a do-it-yourself strategy there, no? Well, I, I feel that what you need here is an experienced professional, but, you know, obviously they aren't going to advertise in the obvious places. Uh, they they <laughs> might talk about it on a completely unrelated podcast. Just feel it <laughs> random. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, yes, there, right. there was a case in China a few years ago, somebody who hired a hitman to kill a business competitor, and that hitman hired somebody else who hired somebody else who hired somebody else who hired somebody else, each yeah, offering okay. less money, and they eventually get down to the last guy hired, went and met the victim and said, let's fake your death instead, and the victim <laughs> went to the police, and they all got prosecuted. Everyone got, yeah, okay, yeah, don't... Um... Don't give someone a gun unless you know where they're going to point it. I suppose would be That's a, 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 a summary of that. Um, okay, all right. I will bear that in mind for my crime stories that I will write in the future for no other reason. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't think we're the only people who thought this was a masterpiece. Uh, yes, um, uh, two, I don't think. In fact, this was for best actress and original screenplay, even though it was against the English patient. Yeah. Uh, I, I, frankly, is a better screenplay. Well, I, I think that's well, well served on both Well, also screenplay counts. rather than adapted, so it wasn't adapted. In Fair enough. Comparison there. Uh, yes, well deserved. Um, it is. I, I, as I've watched a number of other Cohen films, including Blood Simple, um, they don't all work as well as this one. Frankly, this is one of their best. It was also one of their most. It's surprising, but this was extremely commercially successful. Hmm. Um, and they really needed it because they just done the Hudsucker proxy, which was complete bomb. Um, I, I like it well enough, but it's not as good as Fargo, of course. Um, but yeah, I was a bit surprised as to, was it in our top 10? I think it was in our top 10, wasn't it? Um, uh, top 10 earnings, maybe it wasn't, maybe I'm overdue. No, it was not. Oh, it was not, okay. Uh, All right, it, it wasn't. It made, um, initial box office, uh, 60 million off a 7 million budget, so it's one of those, uh, for, for a bigger for film, it. it would have been a comprehensive failure, but on the ratios, yes, it was. It was there, and, and, and able. I, I sort of opened up their audience to a lot more um, people. Hmm. Um, 
who then probably uh, left again when they were <laughs> when they found out what the Coens were about. But I don't know, this to me is emblematic of what I like about the Coens. Um, and I, it's hard not to talk about it from an auteur perspective because you really can tell one of their films um, mm. just from the – it's full of quirky characters. But here the quirky characters don't take over the plot um, – Quirky side characters, I mean, and they don't distract too much. They're just there. Um, they the all seem like is... people who could plausibly be those people doing those things. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's 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 a believable sort of slow, terrible car crash, and it's it's probably exaggerated um, from real life, but at least has a a feeling of very similitudes that are, you know the which again, frankly, the English patient doesn't really have it doesn't it's, that just feels too forced into a romantic plot and this film doesn't really also perhaps it, it, it's trying to go um high big you know it's, it's trying to be a legend a story for the ages yeah. and this absolutely isn't no this is just um and because of that it was because ultimately underneath the english patient it's it's Really, I think we both felt quite a small story. Mm. Um, whereas here, it's no bigger, but it, it's not pretending to be. Um, in some ways, it is bigger. It's certainly more interesting. But um, but I, I certainly never had quite that same same feeling of oh, so that's what it's all about. Let down. Yes, exactly. No, here you just again for me, I'm just sort of enjoying the characters and the milieu and along for the rides, and mm. and then you sort of echo. Mm. Uh, Marge's sentiments at the end, and then it's then it's over. It certainly doesn't outstay its welcome. Um, jolly good, yes. So, was was it influential? Um, I think it probably was. I mean, it certainly it spawned four seasons of a TV show, um, which I know nothing about. I, I discovered. I've, I've seen the. F- I, I also first discovered season. that there there is a, a, a TV series of the English Patient being made at the moment. Oh, goodness, so. the TV <laughs> show is. It's good, but it, uh, it, it loses the tightness. Mm. So it's a lot more of the, oh, we are, and all that. And, and, and that's fine, but I think it works better as a film. Also, personally. it doesn't have McDormand, so. It doesn't have it, It's still very good and well acted. It has, um, the first season, which Thorne I've seen has Billy Bob Thornton in it, who is terrifying in it. Um, it's very, mm. it's good. It follows the story of the money that got buried in the snowdrift. As I recall, <laughs> um, rather than any of the characters. Yeah, um, I, I do I picture get. somebody getting a nice surprise in the spring floor. Well, you'll have to watch season one of Fargo if you want to know <laughs> more about that. Um, but it's, I, I think what it does, the TV show, the film does it better, um, and does it in 90 minutes. Uh, but, but there we are. Uh, uh, I think it was influential. Well, was it? I don't know. I don't know how influential the Coens have never been quite mainstream. Um, they're all, they're just off mainstream and that I suppose you know, your first stop when you're trying to become less mainstream and watching other things, but they're not really, they're too, a bit too big for indie and a bit too offbeat for, um, mainstream. So I don't know whether that makes them influential or not really. It's certainly a film I heard about a lot at the time. Mm. Um, so at the very least it reached the sort of people I was talking with about film. Uh, how representative that is of anything more useful is a little hard to say. Yeah. I, uh, we, we did last time talk about, um, fiasco and similar games that are designed to cause this sort of thing to By happen. By last out. time you mean, uh, Blood Simple, yes. wasn't it? We were talking about it. Yes. La- last cone. Uh, yes. And. So these are role playing games that are designed to emulate that kind of heist gone wrong or plan gone wrong feel. Um, People with uh, divergent goals pulling in different directions and probably not thinking through the consequences of their actions. Yes. And the thing that struck me this time was I'm really enjoying watching this film, but I do not want to play any of these people. <laughs> that is a very good point. Yes. They're, they're, yeah. Fiasco specifically is, it, I probably mentioned Fargo in, in one of the things. Trying to, hmm. I agree. I'm watching in horrified fascination. I don't want to be involved in any of this. Um, I would, I mean, I'd absolutely be the William H. Macy character, <laughs> I must say. But I, I, um, yeah, I think that's a very astute observation. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be that just to enjoy the ride. I'm kind of glad I'm not stuck with these people after it's over. Yeah. Yeah. So. And maybe that's one of the problems with the TV show. You, you do dwell on it a bit more 
Though, I mean, as, as we said with, with the English patient, um, if what you want is to be immersed in that setting, yes, then you know the TV show is going to help. Yeah, it's it's good. Don't get me wrong; just the film's better. Though. Um, yeah, I agree. That's that's a very good way of putting it. I I, uh, I do want to sort of live a, an investigative life in 1930s Cairo and, and find dark <laughs> secrets from before the uh, the dawn of man. Um, not sure I want to do a sad little triple murder in Minneapolis. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't forget the Tiger Moth. Oh, yeah, yeah, fly the Tiger Moth as well. No Rogers Aviation Corps in this, though. We did see a, a jet plane in the background at one point. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there are film, there are a couple of really interesting, if you're me, sites, uh, Internet Movie Plane Database and Internet Movie Firearms Database, where way more obsessive people than I am track down every single gun that appears on screen and you know, every right. single aircraft. And, uh, yeah, if you want to know stuff, they're great. <laughs> but, but you know, a plane in the background or a pistol, I don't feel is particularly significant. I mean, the point Unless is not... Unless it's relevant to the plot. Yeah, it, it's, it it's not this particular sort of gun. I mean, in Blood Simple, there was that particular gun that had a reputation for being cheap and cheerful. Uh, it it had some know, plot relevance here, but here they're just like um, they have guns. Bang! Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, in summary, we both think it was a masterpiece. That's fair to say. I think so. Um, yeah, we both liked it. Um, we probably will return to the Coens because I would like to show you the Big Lebowski. I, I think Fargo might be the high point to the Coens for you because <laughs> I think it's Blood Simple only. With a bit more heart. Um, not that I don't dislike Blood Simple at all. I, I do like Blood Simple a lot. But Fargo does the same thing, but a bit better and a bit more interestingly. <laughs> I, I uh, don't regret having seen Blood Simple, but I'm glad I saw Blood Simple first. Yes. I, I think going to it after this would be a slight disappointment. Well, I, I really set myself up to be disappointed by Blood Simple. Uh, and I, I wasn't actually, cause, maybe because I set myself some low expectations. But it's, it's not as good as Fargo. Um, uh, we probably will get to the Big Lebowski at some point. Uh, uh, we'll see how you feel about it. Yeah. So there we go. Fargo. Um, and we have one more film for 1996, I believe. Um, the, well, the film let, that we like. Uh, let's see how we go and whether we have oh, right, yeah, to say let's... about it. Let's not overpromise. Okay, we made it. We will. We will be back. Maybe or maybe not in 1996. Still. Oh, I don't. You ask those three poor souls in Brennard if a deal's a deal. <laughs> <laughs>